let's pray. Father, we say those words because Jesus said them to Mary. He is your eternal Son without beginning. He is your delight from all eternity past. That you would send Him to become a human being. To live in perfect human righteousness in our place. And to die a brutal, horrific death where you would turn away from Him and His human soul on the cross as our replacement for our punishment. But He is the first fruits of the resurrection. And thus He is our guarantee that one day as He rose bodily to eternal human life, You will do that for all of us who have fled for refuge in Him and thus call You Father also. Help us this morning again, this glorious Easter, see the hope, the essence, of Christianity to the glory of our resurrected Savior. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the central event in human history. The testimony of the eyewitnesses tell us that the resurrection, don't mean a, a nice theology, we mean an historical event of Jesus' resurrection, it really matters. So what I want to do is show two reasons why. Well, really, repeat the two reasons Paul gives us this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection really matters because it's true. Secondly, it really matters because if it's not true, Christianity is a lie, it is a farce, it is a sham, it is worthless. It's the great deception. The eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection preached, proclaimed it, taught it, wrote about it, and many were executed, put to death because of their testimony that this dead man whom we saw die in a brutal fashion on a Roman cross was resurrected from the dead. Their testimony is that Jesus of Nazareth, after He was dead, appeared on many different occasions over a period of a month and a half. At times, eating food with us, drinking with us, teaching us. And then He ascended to the Father. 
And the scriptures proclaim he will return to judge the living and the dead. And what each human being on earth and each human being in this room does with their eyewitness testimony has everything to do with where you will spend eternity. There's nothing more important than what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And yet most people spend the vast majority of their time ignoring the implications of the eyewitness testimonies to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Instead, they spend the bulk of their lives in pursuit of things that would bring them temporal pleasure and happiness, while all the while neglecting their own soul's eternal destiny. If Jesus of Nazareth in Palestine almost 2,000 years ago really did, in fact, rise from the dead, then it is the most important fact in all of human history. There is nothing that comes close to mattering more than that event. So, turn with me, if you're not already there, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We start with verse 1, we'll read through verse 8. Paul writes about 22, 23 years after the resurrection to the church at Corinth. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas. Then, to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James, His brother. And then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What Paul is doing there, what the Gospel writers are doing, it is not a religious myth that they are about. And Easter Sunday is not a, this religious myth about resurrection and a new life. Jesus, yes, He's, he, he, he's risen in me. Isn't this nice? I, I, he helped me get over my alcoholism. I can turn over a new leaf in, in life. Because, you know, we're religious and it's the resurrection story. New starts. New birth. 
That's not what they're saying. This is a factual, historical claim that the mortal human body of that preacher, that Jew, Jesus from Nazareth, was raised from the dead. Yes, Jesus arose with a resurrection body, not a mere mortal body anymore. In other words, this resurrection body has different aspects than our mere mortal human bodies. That's what Paul will will go on to say in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. If you just jump down to verse 42... So it is with the resurrection of the dead, and this is as true of Jesus, the man, as it is of us in the future. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there also is a spiritual body. And so what they're proclaiming is, yes, this very Jesus, His very mortal body that was brutally torn apart and killed, that body, that same body, was transformed. It could be seen. It could be touched with our physical hands made out of matter. And so is His body. He could sit down and eat with mortals and drink with them. This is not a matter of the resurrection of Jesus being true for me. Look at my new life. Oh, it's not true for you. Okay, it's, it's just, That's just a butchery of the historical record. Let's call them liars. Or it's true. That's it. They're not claiming a mere, you can have a spiritual encounter if you can bring yourself to, not factual truths or scientific truths or historical truths, but just if you just be religious and believe in new life. It is either what they're proclaiming, an historical fact, or it is a colossal lie. See, you don't need to believe in gravity in order to make gravity true. If you live a life as if gravity isn't true, I'll just walk off this cliff. I don't think that my small little body will be attracted at a velocity that will splatter it when it gets sucked down to the earth. Well, then your non-belief in gravity will kill you because it's true whether you believe it or not. So, what's the evidence for this claim? of the resurrected, of a dead man slaughtered on a Roman cross. 
who many believe to be the Messiah that the Hebrew Scriptures proclaimed. Well, Paul gives us a couple reasons in 1 Corinthians 15. The first is that he appeals to the Scriptures. He says the Scriptures, which were written hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. He says, first, that's evidence. Look at it in verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins in accordance with, meaning fulfilling, the Scriptures. Okay, you just, just start think Isaiah 53. And that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Just to give a taste, of what is he talking about? The very first sermon preached after the resurrection of Jesus publicly was by the Apostle Peter in Jerusalem. And in the middle of his sermon, listen to how Peter appeals to the testimony of the Scriptures written a thousand years here beforehand. I'm going to pick up in Acts 2, verse 2. 24. Peter's going to appeal to Psalm 16. David wrote it as David referring to the Messiah. So in the middle of his sermon, and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him, Jesus, to be held by it. For David says in the Scriptures concerning him, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. And being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, David, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus... God raised up. And of that, we all here are witnesses. So that's Paul's first evidence. The Scriptures, written long beforehand, testified of what actually happened and they witnessed in history. And you add to that that during Jesus' ministry, on numerous occasions, He prophesied. He foretold His resurrection from the dead. Just to give you a taste from, the Ma- from Matthew's Gospel. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Or later, And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anybody the vision you saw until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Or later, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill Him. 
And He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Yeah, no wonder. Then secondly, beside the Scriptures, Paul gives the evidence of eyewitnesses. Read it with me, starting with verse 5, 1 Corinthians 15. And He, Jesus, appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Then He appeared to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive. When I write this, though some have died or fallen asleep. And then He appeared to His brother, James. And then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. These are crazy claims. None of the eyewitnesses that He listed were expecting Jesus to rise, though He told them. Okay, if you don't understand this yet, this is not a normal process of life. Dead people don't rise. I'm not talking about you, your heart stopped and, and you get the pads and okay, now it's going again. We're talking about dead, 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 cold for three days. Brain dead and all and you are resurrected, not just resuscitated. This doesn't happen. They're not saying, okay, he's dead. That's cool. I can't. How long did he say? They're not waiting for it. None of them are. And especially the last person Paul gives as an eyewitness. Himself. He never hung out with Jesus during His ministry and His mortal life. And after they, these other guys started proclaiming the resurrection of this carpenter preacher, he hated it and he tried to destroy it. Oh. This is not a conspiracy to fool people. Especially the Apostle Paul, the great persecutor of the church. And these early eyewitnesses didn't accidentally eat hallucinogenic mushrooms. And they got the wrong kind. And we saw a vision of Jesus. It's not what happened. There were too many people on too many different occasions, over a six-week period of time, 40 days, that they are saying we are encountered by Him, sat with Him, talked with Him, He talked with us, we ate with Him. From Jerusalem up to Galilee. These fishermen also, these tax collectors, they were changed people. Because of this testimony they're given. They were utterly depressed and scared of the authorities after Jesus was tried and executed. And then they were elated. They were 
happy. They were bold. They were willing to suffer and die and lay down their lives for their testimony on the witness stand of the universe. And then there is Paul, who is the great Christianity hater, who himself was transformed into the great apostle and the missionary to the non-Jewish world about the testimony of the resurrected man, the Lord Jesus. Paul, later in life, this is his testimony in a courtroom setting before King Agrippa. Go ahead, Paul, tell us, Agrippa tells him. And I pick it up in the middle of his speech. And I myself, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues of Jerusalem. And I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Me, Jesus. And so, many years after that experience, when Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he also mentions his own radical change in his life based upon his personal encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus. Pick it up there in verse 8. And last of all, Corinthians, 
as to one untimely born. Yes, Paul's was a very strange situation. It wasn't like the twelve. It wasn't a disciple of Jesus. And he's maybe up to even a year later after the resurrection. He says, Jesus appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now listen to the change. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them to testify to as many people as I possibly could about my eyewitness to the resurrection. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believed. I think at this point then, be honest, that many of us could say, okay, but I never met Jesus in His mortal life, in His ministry. And, and, and He's never appeared to me in His resurrection. I, I don't have that. That's true. Absolutely. For the Creator of the universe, planning redemption from the foundation of the world, purpose to reveal Himself to His apostles and to many, many other men and women who were Jesus' contemporaries then. And for them to be the eyewitnesses. And so Paul, years later, reaches way out to Greece in the city of Corinth. And he gives them the testimony of what many have witnessed. And something happened. Many of those pagan Corinthian people believed and were saved. Something miraculous happened in those Christian people in Corinth when they heard the message. Paul describes what happened in Ephesians 1 when he writes this, And in Christ you also, when you heard the Word of truth, that is, the Gospel of your salvation, that is, you heard the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. What happened? And you believed in Him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it in the future resurrection. They believed. They were changed. They were not encountered by the resurrected Lord Jesus and touched Him and felt Him and saw 
that he's flesh and bone. No, they weren't. And then, 1,948 years after that Resurrection Sunday of Jesus, I believed. Joe LeMay believed. Holy Spirit changed my heart in the hearing of their testimony. He didn't change the facts of the resurrection. It wasn't that Jesus was resurrected in me. He changed a dead, God-hating, religious person to see the truth of the facts and embrace them with my heart. But the fact of the resurrection remains objective. It remains an historical reality. And what a person does throughout the centuries and up to this very day, what we sinful human beings do with the testimony about an historical event of the resurrection of Jesus will determine what happens to us. It will determine whether on Judgment Day we will receive perfect, divine Justice or mercy forever because Christ Jesus is ours and we are in Him. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he says in Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Yahweh, Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. Oh, the resurrection matters because It's true. But not only does it matter because it's true, Paul goes on to say, oh, it matters. Because if it's not true, Christianity is an absolute lie. It is a falsehood. It is a deception. It is not true. And it is not, that is biblical Christianity, is not worth living. Let's pick up with verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed is raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith in what we preach is in vain. Not only that, we are even found to be 
Liars. We're found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, dear Christian, is futile. And you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep or perished or died in Christ, they have perished. You see, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's clear. Christianity isn't about a nice way to live a religious, upstanding life. That's not what Christianity is. In fact, Paul says, Christianity is worthless if Jesus, the Christ, did not rise. From the dead. Christianity, he says, it is about eternal life in our promised future bodily resurrection, which is based upon the historical fact of the resurrection of the man, Christ Jesus. And what one does with that testimony has everything to do with whether they will in the resurrection be enjoying God and their Savior, their High Priest, the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, forever and ever and ever and never be bored, or whether they will suffer eternal wrath from God in perfect justice. That's what Christianity is about. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no biblical Christianity. And worse than that, it would mean all of those people that hung around Him, He had hundreds and hundreds of disciples in His ministry. Not just the twelve, and then, after His crucifixion, it would mean all of these disciples conspired to tell a lie. And their leaders, the apostles, who wrote the New Testament, it would mean they lied. How could you trust anything else that's written in the New Testament, if you lie about the most crucial claim in all of human history. If that butchered, bloodied, dead man, Jesus, did not rise from the dead, then Christian doctrine and the Christian life is a waste. It's foolishness. That's what Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also empty. It's vain. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. You know, that old saying, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you sincerely believe is a profoundly stupid statement. Believing or trust in something is only as good as the object in which you trust. If you sit there, I don't know what to do. i got an inheritance. I'm sitting on $200,000. And a friend says, I know this guy with a hedge fund. And he promises 38% return a year. Okay. I won't even, I won't even try to uh, understand the market and how that's possible. Maybe 18% if he's really good. But okay, I'm going to trust my $200,000 to his hands. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. You sincerely, if in the long run it was Bernie Madoff or something, lost everything. Trust is connected directly to the object that you're trusting in. Paul says, your faith, Corinthians, Sovereign Grace Fellowship. Your faith in the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely worthless. Because you're still in your sins if Jesus did not rise. It's worthless because every one of us human beings has a sin problem. God is against us. And there's a day of reckoning that is coming that the Creator has planned. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then He was not the sin sacrifice for us either. And we are living a lie. And Jesus is not a Savior. But He rose. And that's why Paul says at the very end of Romans 4, it will be counted. Here he's talking about we all know that we're undone sinners and deserve nothing, but Jesus never sinned. In all of His human mortal life, He lived in perfect obedience, in perfect righteousness. And that's what Paul's talking about. And it, that is, that righteousness will be counted to our account. To whose account? To us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification before God. The resurrection is what testifies and confirms He did die for you. It's done. The only hope for any of us and every one of us in here no matter what age, 13 years old, or really old like Bob. <laughs> We're all dying. 
everyone is as good as dead as the other. Life's a vapor. And the only hope that any of us have beyond the grave is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Paul says in verses 17 and 18, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then, those who have fallen asleep, you know, those loved ones that have died in your church, they have perished. There are all kinds of false ideas about God and about the afterlife. And if you don't believe it, just take a week off work and spend that whole week going to at least 20 funerals around the South Bay area. And listen. And in many of those you will hear, just as long, you know, there's an assumption. Okay, this one wasn't a mass murderer. Okay. Yes, he had problems, or she had problems. Yes, maybe a child doesn't show up to the funeral for whatever reasons. But here's the bottom line. We all struggle in life. And, and, and I remember when she really tried to turn over a new leaf and, and, and really struggled to be better. But here's the bottom line. God is just who He is. That is, He receives everyone into His arms at death. Because that's just the way God is. That idea is diametrically opposed to the Bible. To the New Testament. To everything the apostles wrote in their epistles. And particularly to the words of Jesus Himself. That kind of speak is anti-Christ. And then Paul makes a statement here in 1 Corinthians. I just wonder if we really get it. He says, if Christ did not rise from the dead then your living the Christian life is not worth it. I think it's really hard for us to believe what he just said. You hear the testimonies. Even if it's not true, what Christianity leads me to leave a better moral life and treat people better, it's worth it, so let's just... Well, Paul didn't quite see it that way. And I think one of the reasons it's hard for us present-day American Christians not to get what he's saying is because we are not yet suffering persecution and the threat of an early death for following Jesus. Like many of our brothers and sisters at this very moment throughout this planet are. They are dying. How many Bible translators got murdered last week? Is it four, was there four of them working for Wycliffe? People are dying in places on this planet because of their faith in Jesus. And when Paul wrote it, that was his life. 
So I think it's hard for us to grasp what, what he means when he says in verse 19, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We've wasted our life. If there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ, which promises a future beyond death forever, and thus we live based upon that, he says we've wasted it. Paul says, if this is false, then this life I'm living with beatings and shipwreck and times I'm having food and persecution and suffering and he ultimately will have his head lopped off in Rome by the government. He says, it's not worth it. But I'm going to say something, and I just. But maybe even in our present time, see, we think it's persecution because of the way the courts are working, and. No, oh, come on, come on, not yet. But even in our American society, where there isn't a threat of death because you believe in Jesus and you're in church here on Easter Sunday morning. There's a truth here. And that is this. Biblical. And, and, and I, I am using the adjective on purpose. Biblical Christianity is costly. Spiritual discipline of the resurrection. Jesus' love command means sacrifice. You make decisions against what your immediate worldly happiness monitor might choose. The Christian life involves giving and dying it involves your time and your talents and giftings to use for the sake of others and your hard-earned money. Christians are about storing up treasures in heaven, in the future, Resurrection, not in this world. So no wonder Paul says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Think about what it might mean for any of us churchgoers here in this room or anywhere throughout the world this morning, if any of us professing Christians, churchgoers, look into the mirror of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, and we see ourselves. 
when he says, If the dead are not raised, well then let us eat and drink and party on. For tomorrow we die. This is Paul's cry. To someone who says they believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus and thus in the future resurrection of their own body and soul to live with Him forever. Do those people live here in their mortal life as if there were no resurrection to come? Paul's rather shocked. He's writing to the church. And so by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul sends out this warning to baptize church-going people. Just read it again and I'll continue with his warning. If the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived, Corinthians. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor. This is right. Do not go on sinning. For some... They have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. In other words, he just says to them, stop being in love with this present world. Stop living for mere temporal happiness and joys and better cars and better houses and clothing and more entertainment and God and the church. Oh yeah, uh, if it fits into my worldly, weekly agenda, yes, as long as there's no pain in it. No sacrifice of my time and my money. Nothing better comes up. Yeah, then I'll give my lip service. He is risen indeed. Paul warns here. Watch out about what kind of people you're attracted to. Watch out for what kind of company you just can't wait to be around because that's when you're the happiest. Bad company, bad friends, corrupt your life and your living. Good morals. And for Paul here, that admonition is directly connected to the resurrection. And whether or not your faith is empty or vain. That's how he began chapter 15. Unless you believe in vain. You know that passage? I was looking, I think it was 
you know, with my wife, we were looking. I said, don't want you to turn here, because every time I hear Christians talk about that passage in 2 Corinthians 6, they're always applying it to marriage. And it's not about marriage. When he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, it is not about marriage. It's about, do you get the resurrection? Bad company corrupts good morals. The factual, historical, bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ confronts every human being every day. And for us who have placed our trust in the resurrected Savior, it constantly confronts our daily choices of how we spend our time, our talents, our money, and what kind of friends we keep. And so I say, Sovereign Grace, let's go on placing all of our marbles, all of our hope, in the resurrection of Jesus, which is the guarantee of our future resurrection. Let's place it in, as I'm going to close here, what Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to say, starting with verse 50. Oh, again and again, let's rejoice in this truth. I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Oh, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Please stand with me. Three times. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. He is risen. Let's sing like it. <laughs>